The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like double dog dare ya! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, no f***ing now? Wednesday, PFTPM from the barn continues with... The man who will always be known, at least by me, is the guy who found Patrick Mahomes. He is Chiefs General Manager, Brett Veach. Brett, welcome back to the program. How are you, pal? Mike, thanks uh, for having me on. Excited to share some time with you here, and I'm doing good. And now that the draft's over here, we can all take a deep breath and and have a sigh of relief. Well, I have a quiz for you. Mm -hmm. A pop quiz, because we did not discuss this in advance. I want to know if you know the grade that Mel Kuyper gave your 2017 draft. Do you know what that grade is? I do not, no. I, I don't. Do you, do you want to make a guess? Um, I'll keep it right down the middle and say B. C plus. Okay, plus. Yeah. The draft that brought Patrick Mahomes to town and Kareem Hunt, and my point here isn't to bag on Mel, but this is a continuation of something I was talking to Howie Roseman about yesterday. The idea that this whole process of even trying to grade drafts is impossible because we don't know and we won't know how these guys work out until it's time to go line up on a field against other NFL caliber talent, grown ass men, and how those guys react in that setting will let us know whether or not it's a good pick. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, these guys have to come in here and, um, you know, all the stuff that we watched and evaluated on tape, we, certain teams will have different beliefs and in, in, in regards to how they see players, but we're certainly excited about the, the group we brought in and I do want to you know give you a little tip of the cap there right toward I would say the the 24th hour going into this draft you know typically right before the draft you have an indication of maybe not exactly who you're going to get but but two or three guys and you know when I had a chance to talk to coach Reed um, the guy that we ended up really kind of figuring out that this would would make sense for us was Clyde Edwards Hilaire and then I think two hours later uh, you posted your one and only mock and that's who you had you had us taken. So uh, I sent that to coach. So of all the, the draft experts, you guys got to kind of got that one right, huh? Well, well, first of all, the blind squirrel feasts on acorn from time to time. <laughs> Second of all, I don't do the mock draft. I have somebody who used to be an NFL personnel who puts it together for me. And this year, especially, I wasn't in a position to second guess because who the hell knew how it was going to play out this year? Because there wasn't that group think that we usually get from the pro yeah. day workouts when people get together and compare notes. Chris Sims also had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at number 32. So we both pegged it, even though I really didn't peg it. But Chris was all over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the best running back in the class. You obviously agreed. When you hear that kind of stuff before the draft, when, you know, the momentum is pushing toward DeAndre Swift, and he was the betting favorite, and he was the guy everyone was saying would be the first running back taken. When you see someone like Sims saying Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the best, when you see him show up, being given to you at pick number 32 in mock drafts. Do you, what do you do? Do you cringe? Do you worry? Do you think you may have to trade up to get him? How does that, how does that affect you? Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, there's so many of these guys, you know, that, that do this. And, and, and certainly um, we felt the same as, as, uh, um, 
as Chris, but you know, there's so many guys that, that do this. So, you know, if you go down that alley, I mean, where are you going to, where does it stop and start and where does it end? So uh, I think we all take notes of that kind of stuff and, and we do look at it. Um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, we're going to stick to our beliefs and, and what we value on our board and what we think is best for the Chiefs. But uh, I mean, sure, you're going to see a lot of these things, but like I said, there's, there's so many of them out there that um, sometimes it's, it, it works in your favor and sometimes it, it doesn't. As you prepared for and executed this draft, Brett, did, did you feel less pressure because you guys are the champs, you've got Patrick Mahomes no matter what, even if none of the picks work out, you've still got Mahomes? Or did you feel more pressure because once he gets that second contract, the lifeblood of your team is going to be the draft picks who are under rookie wage scale contracts, low cost, fit under the salary cap. We got to hit on these guys. We got to get contributors out of these guys or it's not going to work around a highly paid quarterback. Yeah, I, I certainly think that, you know, you always feel pressure. And, and um, I don't think that because we won a Super Bowl, we felt less. So I would say that every year, every draft, there's a lot of pressure to uh, do the homework and, and make the best evaluations you can. I would say, if anything, there was a little bit more pressure. Like you said, you know, there are some some guys that um, we have to figure out their contracts. And, and you know, the best way to uh, keep this thing rolling is to, you know, add in young town on, on rookie contracts. So I would say if anything, there, there was more pressure um, really that. And I think that the, the stress and probably the unknown of uh, after the draft, the free agency period was something that I think we all got to a mindset of going into the draft that, um, you know, once we got the communication, I thought the league did a pretty good job of, of getting us up to speed and everything ran smoothly. We were really worried about, um, you know, the undrafted free agent period. Um, as you know, that gets a little crazy. But uh, I think entering the draft, uh, you know, we certainly understood, you know, the magnitude of, of um, obtaining uh, talent that is going to sustain this thing as we work through some of these uh, star players on our roster with uh, bigger contracts. How much different was the undrafted free agent period that process of of engaging in the land rush for the guys who weren't picked how different was it this year than it is in a normal year well it's always it's always crazy and you know I think in normal years uh, when you're in a facility you have the um, ability to pass off the phone and, and talk to your medical people and and recruit players because once you get to the end of the draft all 32 teams are on the clock for for a player and not like you know you have the time to figure out what you want to do and sometimes these players um you know, they're trying to figure out what's the best fit for them, where they want to go, um, working with their agents. And by the time they get back to you um, with a no, the next three or four guys are off the board. Um, but, you know, I think in a weird way, Mike, uh, and we joked about this before the draft, not having a sixth and seventh round pick. Now we ended up trading back into the seventh, but at the time, our last pick was in the fifth round. So that gave us some lead in time. So we were really able to kind of look at the landscape and project where guys would be. Um, and once we got off the clock, we knew exactly where we, went, where, where we wanted to go. That kind of logic led into us trading back in because looking at the corners that were left in the sixth and seventh round, we figured um, the player we selected wouldn't be there. So, um, you know, give credit to my staff. I think that, you know, we devoted – a lot of time into the um, after the draft for agency process. And, and I think that we were able to come away with some good players. Give me something that you were worried about, Brett, something that was causing you to lose sleep about how this draft was going to unfold that ended up being no big deal at all. Yeah, it was the last second trade type scenario. I think that was the one thing I think, you know, we, we, we had our board and, 
you know, we were fortunate that, you know, we spent 16 or 17 days as a staff before the combine to really lay down the foundation of our board. So 80% of our board was done before the combine. Now we had some, um, some back end work to do and, and we had to devote some additional resources to getting more information and doing a lot of zoom chats and, and doing stuff with the medical. Um, but when we finally got to the draft after the league gave us a, a good two week window to kind of prep and do some demo runs on uh, making calls and talking to teams, we felt really confident. I think the one thing that I was concerned about was, okay, we're on the clock. We have a player we like, and then maybe with like 45 seconds, a team would call with an inter interesting trade. Um, uh, proposal and then just making sure that everybody's on the same page in zoom chats um, as opposed to being there in real time uh, and certainly making sure we didn't lose a connection but the league was also very cooperative in the sense that you know they let us know that if you did have a technical issue right toward the end that they would be lenient and just be open and communicate with them so that was probably the one scenario but it, it never really came into play well, and as it always seems to go in the real world, it's the thing you worry about that isn't an issue. And it's the thing you didn't worry about that becomes an issue. Is there something that wasn't on your radar screen that during the draft you realized, holy crap, I should have been ready for this? Um, you know, I think every year it's probably um, being at a, a selection when there are a few more guys available there than you thought. Uh, you know, we all try to, and for the most part, the first round goes relatively um, on point. But once you get into rounds two or three, uh, you're kind of in your mind eyeing guys that you're like, this guy I think will be there. We're excited. He'd help us. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get to that pick and there's another two guys that you probably projected to go a little higher. Now they're there. Um, and so balancing out, um, you know, can you trade back, um, uh, you know, in which direction do you go? And that's where all that advanced dialogue comes into play. And that's where, you know, once you set the board, you stick true to it. So there was a few scenarios where, you know, we kind of targeted guys in, in specific rounds. Uh, guys tended to fall a little bit lower and then were available to us. Um, and those are the scenarios that happen every year, though. We talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back from LSU. What would you say to placate the concerns of any fans out there who are of that mindset that an NFL team should never use a first-round pick on a running back, that they can be found anywhere, you shouldn't burn up that high of a pick on a guy that you can get in rounds two, three, four, five, all the way through to undrafted free agency like an Arian Foster? What do you say to the folks who would insist, no way, no how, should you use a first-round pick on a running back? Well, I think every draft is different and every evaluation is, is, is different in regards to how you process this information. I think that most teams in, in general, um, you know, taking the quarterback out of the equation because the quarterback's the ultimate anomaly, but most teams operate with the mindset of you're going to build, you know, through the middle. So you're going to build O-line, D-line, and then work on the corners. Um, and, and we're no different in that we operate with that mindset too. So we're always going to look to solidify our offensive line and our defensive line. In fact, I think if you looked at what we've done um, since I got here, we, we've devoted a ton of resources up front on the defensive line and, um, you know, what we did in, in the draft with our offensive line acquisitions um, certainly speaks to that. But I, I think that when you uh, – enter the first round of this draft and you're being true with your evaluations, there's always going to be an outlier to every scenario you're in. So when you're there in the first round and you have a mindset of how you want to build the team, and then you're also faced with the question of, but there's this, what we believe to be a franchise running back, uh, a true playmaker and, and another addition to add with Pat Mahomes, I think that comes into play. So it's really our evaluation of Clyde edwards helaire and what we think of him and his ability um, and is he, you know, is he a guy that you can just find in the fourth or fifth round or is he someone special and unique? And we certainly viewed him as someone special and unique. 
Damian Williams was your leading rusher last year. He had the 90-yard touchdown run in the win over Minnesota. He had the back-breaking touchdown in the Super Bowl victory. Have you or Coach Reed spoken to him about what this draft pick of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire means to Damian Williams? Yeah, so, you know, I, I got a chance to speak with his agent and, um, you know, reached out to him via text. And, and I know Coach reached out to him uh, via text right before the pick. And, and then I think he followed up with him um, recently in the, in the last few days. But, I mean, look, these guys are all, all super competitive. And, and I think, like any player in this league, when a team drafts someone at your position, I don't think they're doing backflips and high fives. And I, I think that the competitiveness certainly comes out. But I think once these guys come in the building – um, and once you get this thing rolling, I think, you, you know, everyone kind of gels as a cohesive unit. Um, but our situation is is good for, for certainly Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Damian because these guys will be really good complementary players to one another. And that's really the question, too. Is it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire becoming the workhorse, or do you see it more of a shared load between Edwards-Hilaire and Williams? No, I, I certainly think it's going to be um, a, a shared load. I mean, listen, Damien is has been in this offense now for, for a long time and, and certainly showed what he can do uh, in that playoff run. Uh, the guy's really good pass protector, can catch the football. I mean, both these guys, you know, can, can run and catch. Um, and, you know, certainly Damien will come in as a starting running back and, and Clyde will have to come in here and compete uh, for playing time, which we think he'll do. But I think it'll be a good one-two punch. One of the realities of the pandemic that I hadn't thought about really until just before we got this started, Brett, a ring ceremony for the Kansas City Chiefs. What are the plans in light of the fact that things are still kind of upside down with the coronavirus? That's a good question, and I, I don't have the answer for that. I, you know, I'm certainly, I'm sure uh, Clark Hunt and Mark Donovan are, are on top of that, and uh, I'd like to think that they didn't want to really interrupt coach and I during this process here but you know we were just locked in uh with the with the free agency process before the draft and then locked in really with all the um uh technology uh prior to the draft here so uh I don't know about that but I'm sure that once we get back to a uh, full operating capacity that'll be something we all look forward to one of the issues that's come up Brett in the uh in the wake of the pandemic and the likelihood that the offseason programs will be gone or at least limited, very limited at most, um, signing your draft picks. We've seen since 2011, a lot of teams jump on it early. They get their picks signed. Do you have a strategy that's been revised to fit the current reality as to whether or not you're going to move forward? You're going to wait. Do you have a timetable for when you're going to sign these guys? Yeah, I think that, I mean, we'll probably just proceed as, as, you know, we have in the past, um, you know, I, I think we have a little bit of, of a window here. Um, you know, it doesn't look like we'll be in the office anytime soon. So I, you know, I, I'm sure that there in the past were weeks where we probably came out very soon and got some of these guys done right away. I'm sure the, there probably be a little bit of a holdover in regards to both parties, just assessing all the information, uh, you know, made available to at the time. So, you know, I don't think this will hold things up, but I do think that there'll be some extra time given um, to make sure that we have all the information in regards to how everything's going to proceed as we move on here. Linebacker Willie Gay Jr. was your second round pick. Tell us what attracted you to him. Well, I mean, that's um, a really interesting player. Uh, obviously, a supremely gifted athlete. Um, when we had the, the pre-combine meetings, um, with our scouting staff. I mean, he kind of jumped off tape. Now, he had the academic issue where he was suspended and the tape was a little choppy. But I think if you, you look at what he was able to do in those four or five games and then go back 
to last year. Um, the guy certainly has, um, you know, a crazy athletic skill set, um, has range, has versatility, think he can cover um, extremely well. And then also because he's a bigger type prospect that's a little longer, he can also play Sam or Will for us. So we were really excited about that. And then he goes to the combine. He put on performance that, um, you know, was as good as any linebacker's performance in the last five, 10 years here. So we certainly think that there'll be a little bit of a learning curve with Willie just because, you know, he hasn't taken a lot, a large volume of reps in college, but the limited amount of reps he did have at that level were super impressive. And we certainly know that his ceiling is extremely high given his uh, athletic, athletic testing numbers. One of the benefits for the Chiefs in 2020, bringing back so many of the starters from the team that won Super Bowl 54. Is there a downside, though, to having that much continuity and that there's a greater chance of complacency when you don't maybe have a new guy who joins the team, a veteran who's hungry for a ring that maybe keeps guys from getting satisfied in what happened last year? How do you guard against that complacency when you have so many of those starters coming back who had just climbed to the top of the mountain and are back at the bottom trying to climb the same mountain again? Yeah, you trust the leadership you have in your locker room, and you're right to the point that when, when we lost to New England uh, in the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago, um, you know, that, that fire and that drive kind of fueled our entire offseason, um, you know, not just the players, but w what we did as an organization in regards to being aggressive and making moves. Uh, but, we, we, you know, we came so close, and we were driven by that fire. Uh, like you said, now that you've gotten there and you won the Super Bowl, um, you know, we have to do a great job of, of maintaining that same level of focus and aggressiveness that put us in the position um, that we're in. So I think these are the times and, and you know, when you have success, you really um, fall back uh, on the leadership you have in that locker room. And I think having Pat Mahomes on the offensive side and, and Tyron Matthew on the defensive side is where we're, what we're really going to bank on. The Patrick Mahomes contract comes up from time to time. Do you have a timetable for when there will be an effort to get him under contract well into the future? Well, I mean, certainly it, being the best player in the NFL is, is, uh, goes to the, the top of the list for us. Um, you know, I don't know if we can put a timetable um, with both him and, and a player like Chris Jones. You're talking about really two, obviously, um, uh, two players that are at the top of their positions, and these are going to be, um, you know, uh, the contracts are going to certainly be on the larger scale of things, and um, they'll take some time. But, you know, Chris is a little bit different than, than Pat because, you know, he has a deadline of uh, – there's a July 15th deadline to get something done. But I think with both players now here, um, now that the draft's over and, and we have um, some time now to kind of shift gears and look toward what we hope is a full offseason, and certainly we don't know and, and no one does. But um, we'll be able to kind of turn our, our resources and our focus in, into working um, with these two, um, these two camps to get, to get both players done. And it is such a deadline-driven business, Brett, that with Chris Jones, it's easy. It's July 15. That's the deadline for a multi-year deal. That's when everybody knows the clock is going to hit midnight. For Patrick Mahomes, though, you have a broader period of time that you can play with. Are you getting any agitation, any frustration, any sense from Mahomes' side that they want to do it now? No, no, not at all. But, you know, I'm certainly, we know that we would like to get something done um, sooner than later. And I certainly know that they feel the same way. Um, you know, you're, when you kind of go through the last few, few months here, I think we've all realized it's been a crazy time for the whole country. Um, so with uh, a crazy free agency period combined with um, a new, never been done before virtual draft, um, certainly in our early dialogue, dialogue with, um, you know, Pat and his 
uh, representatives, we kind of knew that once things settled down, um, we'd be able to, to open up dialogue and, and, and proceed. But I mean, look, we all want to get it done. It'll take time, like all these big deals do. But um, I guess the best thing to say, Mike, is, you know, he'll be a Kansas City Chiefs for the duration of his career. And we feel confident about that. You know, one of the challenges you have as a practical matter, Brett, and and like you said, so much has changed, so much is happening. You got to plan for how the world is going to unfold. And if we do have a season with no fans in the stands or limited fans in the stands, that's going to affect the bottom line. That's going to affect the salary cap for 2021. How much of that planning goes into play when you get to the point, whether it's negotiating Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, or anybody, the possibility that the cap may actually go down. We've never seen it go down and you're going to have less dollars available for everyone. And you want to be careful how much gets tied up into your, your highest paid players. Well, I mean, yeah, that's certainly an excellent point. And I think, as you mentioned, any player that, that you're looking to do, and whether it be the Chiefs or, or any team, we're all dealing with the same information. And there's a great um, great part of this is, is the unknown. So I think that, you know, patience um, will, will certainly uh, have to come into play here in regards to just making sure that, um, you, you know, we monitor uh, certainly what's going on throughout the country, getting great dialogue from the league um, as we proceed. But um, it, it's, it's, we are in a little bit of a, a, a tricky window here where we're kind of just projecting uh, in a lot of ways of, you know, how many games will we play? When will start? Will this be a full season? Will, the, will there be fans? And really none of those questions we have any definitive answers to right now. So there is a, uh, a little bit of a holding pattern here. Um, and we'll certainly use, utilize that holding pattern to acquire all the information we, we can to make good decisions moving forward. But you're right to the point of how all these things could, could you know, come into play uh, two, three years down the line. One thing I need to ask you about before I let you go, the Bashad Breland arrest. I hadn't seen a team statement on that. Is there any comment whatsoever on the news out of, I believe, South Carolina or North Carolina of the incident with Bashad Breland? Yeah, so we were made aware of the situation uh, yesterday. And, um, you know, we're certainly um, uh, going to defer to the league and, and, you know, the local authorities down there. And um, we'll do what we always do. We'll, we'll kind of look at all the information and, and have great communication and dialogue, uh, dialogue with the league and, and kind of let the situation work itself out. It's got to be frustrating, too. In a normal situation, you'd be able to bring him in, sit him down, talk to him, see how he's doing. That's one of the questions that never gets asked in a situation like this. How are you doing? You've just been arrested. It's a contentious situation. Is there anything we can do to help you? You can't have that in-person conversation. It's got to be harder to take the temperature of where a guy is. Well, well, certainly. And, you know, just in general, though, I think all these guys are, are anxious uh, to, get, to get back into uh, – uh, their facilities. You know, it's funny, Mike, you know, uh, over the years, a lot of these guys uh, after the season don't really want to come back. And you always have that, is he going to show up for OTAs? Is he not? I feel like this year we have so many players calling and just dying to get back. So uh, this may end up being a good thing for the for the, the league moving forward in regards to, I think the guys are actually missing OTAs where in the past, uh, you know, some of these guys would rather be on extended vacations. It's got to be a real concern though, when guys show up for training camp, I'm sure one of the first jobs is to get the doctors and the trainers to know what kind of shape each guy's in. Cause I think every guy's going to come in in some different level of shape without that regimen, without that structure that we ordinarily would have in the off season. Yeah, you're right. And you, you know, um, especially for, you know, when every team is different in regards to how they, 
they run training camp, we have certainly a, a very demanding training camp. And, um, uh, you know, coaches is still a little bit old school in regards to the volume of, of things that we get done in that in that time window there. So um, we've had a lot of talk in an early, uh, early dialogue in regards to making sure that we have um, some, you know, advanced medical um, set up ready to go for our players. But I, I certainly think that there'll be potentially a window of lead-in time before camp opens just to make sure that these guys get all the proper proper medical attention they need and make sure that we can get a baseline of physical conditioning for where these guys are out to keep them all safe and healthy. Well, hopefully the people whose job it is to come up with plans for a football season will come up with a plan to make it happen. You'll get to open the season at home on a Thursday night, hopefully in early September, and we'll get to see if the Chiefs can become the first back-to-back champions since the Patriots in 2003 and 2004. Brett, congratulations again on the Super Bowl victory and all the best. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Mike, I appreciate it, and I hope you and your family are doing well and, and hope we can catch up soon. All right, same to you, Brett. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Wednesday's PFTPM continues now with a, a recurring guest. He was on just a few weeks ago before the draft. Now here he is after the draft. Brandon Bean, the Buffalo Bills general manager. Brandon, welcome back. How are you, pal? Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, bud. I, I got a kick out of your comments after the first night of the draft when you explained that you had to tell people to physically restrain you from <laughs> trading back into round one. Did, did it actually potentially possibly happen? Were there any conversations with teams in the latter half of the round about maybe trading back in and getting one of those picks? No, some people called. Uh, I think I'd put the word out. Nobody called me, uh, <laughs> but they called Dan Morgan and Joe Shane uh, asking if we want to get to the bottom of the round. Um, and uh, the Chiefs PR guy, Ted Cruz, he texted me and said, hey, why don't you come up and get this? Uh, he kn I know him well. Uh, we interned together way back in the day in Carolina. But uh, I said, no. I said, unless Beach, unless Beach will give it to me for a seventh, uh, we're sitting pat. And, you know, the problem, I think, this year, and it may be more from the standpoint of the team giving up the future pick, but, like, if I'm taking a 2021 pick and I'm not even sure there's going to be a college football season or maybe there's going to be a college football season that's going on during the draft, there's been that speculation of a, possible February to May 2021 college season, I would think that it would be hard to value a trade because I don't know what those picks that I'd be getting from 2021 are even worth. Yeah, that's a 
it's a real unknown right now. That's a, I mean, it's spot on, Mike. I mean, uh, obviously, if there were to be no season, then we're just going to have to scout off of, um, you know, these guys either freshman and sophomore tape only or freshman, sophomore, junior, if they were going to be a rising senior. And I think some guys that may have remaining eligibility may not even enter the draft. You're going to have a, a lesser pool potentially. And they, they may give all these guys another year. Guys that otherwise would be out of eligibility may be able to come back for one more year. You may have a much more limited selection of players even entering the draft than you would in other years. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I do think, uh, to your point, if, if a lot of guys are going back, they don't like their stock and they're going back, some other guys that are lesser players may say, ooh, I better go now. That receiver that was rated ahead of me, uh, he's going back. You know, he'll only be ahead of me next year, so maybe I should, I should go ahead. So a lot of unknowns, um, you know, to your point. But, you know, it, it never really came up, you know, for us to, you know, to look to add, a, you know, a future pick for next year. So, yeah, know, or, to give, or to give one up. Uh, <laughs> I definitely wasn't doing that. Um, but, but, you know, and some folks may be wondering, well, how big of a deal is it? I mean, think about it. If the 2019 college football season hadn't happened, where would Joe Burrow have been drafted, right? He yeah. had a dramatic increase in his play from 2018 to 2019. He wouldn't have been the first overall pick. It would have been Tua, without question. Yeah. And he wouldn't have been injured. There wouldn't have been any questions about his health. And that would have been that. And everything would have gone. There's some alternate reality out there where it happened, where there wasn't a 2018 season and Tua was the first pick. And Burrow was maybe a fifth rounder. Yeah, there's there's always those stories of guys that uh, I mean, even Baker. You know, the year before, uh, you know, if people were, you know, we were taking a look at Baker and, and uh, through the draft process when I was in Carolina, and you know, we didn't have if he were to come out, and you know, we didn't have the type of grade of number one overall pick or anything like that. I think he was more considered, you know, a second to third rounder if he were to come out. So uh, to your point, Mike, there's a lot of guys that. Uh, they need that next year to, to give them that bump to the first round. And, you know, one of the things that Chris Sims complains about from time to time, a guy who would have been a very high pick if he'd come out a year early stays a year, and for whatever reason, there's a perceived reduction in his performance. And the example that Chris used today was Drew Locke, the Broncos quarterback. He stayed that extra year. Things changed around him. He got blamed for the fact the team wasn't as good. And it's, you know, already pretty clear that he's a, a, a good to very good quarterback in the NFL. How hard is it to ignore what that extra year does to a guy when if he had been out a year earlier, he would have been regarded much more highly? From your perspective, how do you parse all that out? No, it's real. I mean, look at Tua's situation. I mean, everybody was saying this year, a year ago, that, teams were tanking for Tua or uh, he was the, you know, the number one pick. Look at, you know, the young man at Clemson right now. I mean, if we had a draft tomorrow, everybody and their mother's going to tell you he's the number one pick. Um, and, but what happens this season? Does he, does he regress or, you know, you know, does he have something like what Tua where he has a setback and doesn't play the whole year? Um, there's all sorts of scenarios and, and unknowns. So that's a fair point because, you know, if, if the kid from Clemson would have come out this year, you know, would he have been the number one pick this year, even though people are already slotting him as number one, you know, in 2021. So uh, that's very real. I don't know the right answer to it. Um, you know, you have to, when you try and evaluate, you try to do it in totality the best you can and take all the facts uh, that you know. And, and 
you know, and to his point, obviously durability, you know, he's a very good player. I think durability was the question, which is why Miami, you know, was able to select him at five versus having to trade up to one, which a year ago they probably would have had to do. You had a quarterback slide down to round five, George's Jake from what was your analysis? Were you watching him as you fell? And did you know there's a certain point where you just can't say no, even though you've got Josh Allen, you've got to go ahead and grab this guy. It's too much of a value in round five. Yeah, you know, uh, he, he was not in our plans, Mike. He really wasn't. Um, but you set your board, and, and if a player is sticking out, especially, you know, at the quarterback, that, that's the premium position of all sports and definitely, in our, you know, in our game. And so, you know, we had a pretty good grade on Jake, and, and he was clearly sticking out on our board, the highest player. And, you know, unless you've got three guys that you're going, man, we're, we're set for years to come, why would you ignore the premium position? And that's why we, we selected Jake. And, um, you, know, what a, you know, he's a winner. And if you look at what he did, you know, he held off Eason, uh, who ended up transferring. And then, you know, he held off Justin Fields, you know, who's, who's at Ohio State. So he's got to have something to him. You know, he's very smart. He scored very high on the wonder lick. Um, if he had all the measurables, he's 6'5 with a cannon arm, this would have been a guy that would have been talked about a lot higher. Uh, obviously, he's got a lot to prove. And, and, and listen, this is nothing that Josh Allen or even Matt Barkley, this was just uh, a player on our board like we do at any other position that had a, you know, we had a high value on him and we, and we decided to choose him. And I spent a lot of time yesterday talking to Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM, about the mindset behind their decision to use a second-round pick on a quarterback, Jalen Hurts. And I think he was a bit flabbergasted by the local reaction because from his perspective, it's simple. You've got a quarterback. Your quarterback can get injured. You've got to have somebody that you trust to come in and get it done because look at what happened to the Chiefs. They win a couple of games without Patrick Mahomes. They lose one of those games. They don't have the number one seed in the postseason. They're not winning the Super Bowl. From your perspective, how much of a factor is it that Josh Allen, he hasn't missed a lot of time, but he has been banged up a little bit. He's got that physical style. Do you feel more compelled to have a quality option behind him because there's a greater risk maybe that he's going to get injured than a more traditional pocket guy that isn't going to be moving around as much? Yeah, that's real. And, um, you know, we do have more design runs with him than, you know, the Patriots had with Tom Brady or, or the Packers have with Aaron Rodgers and, and some of these guys. So that is part of Josh's game right now as, as he continues to develop, you know, his skill set as a pocket passer. So uh, it is important. And, and again, I think Matt Barkley has done a, a really solid job. He is going into his last year and, and you know, we'll see after the season whether we would extend him or not. But uh, you know, Fromm just gives us a young player at a, you know, at a very good value for four years. And, and again, it was just, it was too, too easy to pass, too, too hard to pass up, you know, with where we had him, with him falling to the fifth round. He had A.J. Epinesa fall two in round two. He's a guy some thought was going to be a first rounder. I'm trying to envision how your thought process is going as he's going farther and farther. I mean, was it screaming out to you that, there was a chance this guy was going to be gone. Uh, give, give me an idea of just your mindset as it's getting closer and closer, uh, and, and he's the guy you're going to take if he's there. How nervous are you that he's not going to be there when it's time for you to put his name on the card? Yeah, you know, if you've got a guy, you know, on your board sticking out or anything like that, until, you're, until you see the pick is in from, you know, the team in front of you, you, you are sweating it. And, and in that round, uh, you know, we had some – it seemed like a lot of offense went you know, starting the day, you know, we had some options on defense and some options on offense. And it seemed like out of the gate, 
these guys went pretty quick, some of the offensive guys, and it seemed like as we were getting, you know, four, five, six picks away, it was looking more and more like it was going to be a defensive option, you know, with A.J., you know, as one of those. And um, by the time we were on the clock, he, he was definitely um, the easy and the right selection for us. You've got a great defense as it is. What do you see him bringing to it? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, you look at he, – he's a sack producer. That's what he's done the last two years. Um, you know, he's long. He, he, this guy's 6'5". He's got 34-and-a-half-inch arms. You know, he's too – you know, too high 260s, 270. Uh, I think he can fluctuate his weight however we want him. Um, I love his hand game, his hand use. And the thing is, he's versatile. That, that's probably the best thing. We love to have versatility, you know, down the line with guys that can play – on, you know, for us, he'll be a, a left defensive end, but on sub downs, uh, we do see the possibility for him, him to come inside and be a nickel rusher. And, and he had – sometimes you're projecting, Mike, that these guys can do it. If you watch him, just as much of his production was inside as it was on the outside. So it's, it's not something that we have to see. Oh, we'll take a C and look at it when we get here. We've had guys before that you try that and they get inside it and it's, it's a different game and they're in different fields. So uh, looking forward to his versatility and his production. When we talked before the draft, we had a conversation about Devin Singletary, who was a rookie running back last year, what you envision his role to be. Now you add another running back in Zach Moss. Give us an understanding of how you think the work will be divided between those two guys. Yeah, I mean, Devin is our starter, and that's what I think we talked about a few weeks ago. He, he's our guy, and uh, if, if we got a back to compliment him, great. Uh, we felt very good with, with Devin and, and, and T.J. Yeldon as our back. But, again, our board stood out and said, take Zach Moss. And so I do think Zach brings a complimentary skill set um, to Devin. Devin is more of a, uh, you know, space player. He's, he's going to cut and, and make you miss. Zach is he's, – he's a hammer. He, he's looking to be physical. He may make the first guy miss, but after that, he's looking to, you know, lower his shoulder. He's a 5'9", compact frame guy, solid. And, you know, he's, he has what I would call, Mike, competitive speed. You know, he's not a home run vertical 4'4 guy, but uh, he did have some long runs at Utah. You see him once he gets up rolling, uh, you know, he, he can hold his own. So looking forward to that. In the pass game, um, Devin's probably a little bit better right now, but this guy didn't drop a lot. He just wasn't used. He was used more in the screen and the little flares out there. Let's move on to the receiver position. And correct me if I'm wrong here. The Diggs trade was a first-round pick this year, a five and a six this year, and a four next year. Is that right? Yeah, and we got a seven back. So we okay. swapped sixes and sevens. So it was, it was a net three picks. So you, you put that net three picks into Stephon Diggs, and then you drafted two more receivers. And I guess if I'm a Bills fan and I'm looking at this, I'm saying, wait, what's going on here? What's with this rush of receivers? We got John Brown. We got Cole Beasley. Why so much draft capital being devoted to that position? How would you uh, address those concerns if you have fans out there wondering what's going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, this was a receiver-heavy draft, and I think that's part of it. You know, we were hoping that it fell at some point for us to – a size guy you know um, I think uh, Sean uh, McDermott he referred to our guys as Smurfs at, at one point during the season so um, you know and then we had Diggs Diggs is our tallest guy of those starting three right at six foot so the first guy we added was Gabe Davis who's a 6'2 player out of, out of UCF and then 
um, Hodgins was a guy that was – both these guys were, were high on our boards, but Hodgins was sticking out in the sixth round. And uh, once we took Gabe, uh, we really weren't planning to take another receiver. Um, but, again, you, you follow your board, and this guy will come in. I think he'll compete with Dave. He'll compete with other – you know, with other guys, but um, just adding some size guys to, to the mix, I think that is, was important for us. And then, you know, it stands out like a sore thumb whenever a team does it because it doesn't happen very often. You drafted a kicker. And there are those <laughs> who would say you never draft a kicker. What do you think in drafting a kicker? What do you say to the people who would say you're nuts to draft a kicker? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not going to argue with them till we, till we till the proof's in the pudding. So we'll see how it goes. But um, we just looked on the board, and, you know, when you get in the sixth, seventh round, you start talking about which player has the best chance to, to make your roster or make an impact. And, and there were some other guys that we said, okay, maybe this linebacker, maybe this safety, whatever. But uh, we thought this guy would come in and compete with Steven Auska. And um, I saw him up, you know, up close. He was there at the Senior Bowl, and, and I thought he had a very good week. Uh, they gave him some opportunities in practice and in the game to hit some pressure kicks. Uh, with, with the whole team around and you just saw his leg strength and, and in Buffalo we get a lot of windy days Mike and having a guy um, not only as a field goal guy but being able to kick that ball into the end zone and keep the other team from returning it, it, it is also a valuable asset so again he'll have to you know get, go against Steven Hauska and Steven had a little spell in the middle of the season where he struggled a little bit but he finished 11 for 11 so uh, I told Tyler when we drafted him, listen, uh, you're going against, you know, an established veteran. You'll have to prove that you're clearly the right answer. Um, you know, you got to kind of knock him out to win that job. And you mentioned an important dynamic, draft picks making the team between draft picks and undrafted free agents with no offseason program. I mean, who knows if there's going to be a week or two or a mini camp in June, but not the same opportunities to compete that these young players would have. How much harder is it going to be? for the late round picks, the undrafted guys to actually make it from 90 to 53? Yeah, I mean, I think rookies this year in general, um, I think you starting at even your first, second rounders, um, these guys are going to have a harder time. If Assuming there's no offseason, assuming the first thing, let's just say the first time that we get our hands on them is August when, when training camp starts. Well, they're missing all this time. And there's only so much you can do. There's so many of these players, Mike, that, um, you can show them stuff on the board of the film, but they need to walk through it. They need to jog through it. And we're missing a lot of OTAs and, and, and mini camps and things like that. And so you're definitely, I remember back to the lockout year, and that's kind of how we're, we're approaching it here is what can we do with these guys to, to help them be as advanced as possible if it's not till August till they're here. And I think if you go back to 2011, Mike, there were a lot of rookies that didn't get the trust of the coaches right out of the gate that were that were drafted high so um i do think you know even later in the draft those guys will have a harder time making your roster and obviously the undrafted guys so uh, the undrafted guys the main thing will be if they don't make your roster are they good enough to be on your practice squad and don't you wish there was a true developmental league the aaf tried it last year the xfl had to pull the plug due to the pandemic but you've got young guys who, if they just had a chance, I think back to guys like Kurt Warner going over to NFL Europe, the guys who developed there. For a lot of these guys, you get your chance. It's a flash. And if you don't make the most of it, you're done because there's another crop of young players coming in 12 months behind you. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, you know, 
my, I was rooted in Carolina and Jake DeLone uh, was on that team with Kurt Warner, uh, you know, in the arena, in the, um, uh, the world league. And uh, I think Jake would say several times if he didn't get a chance to go over there and play, you know, he was undrafted uh, out of Louisiana Lafayette. And uh, look at what he did. He took us to a Super Bowl and, and had a really nice career, uh, at least one pro bowl I remember. And so the Kurt Warner story, there's plenty of guys that uh, you'll I always wonder what guys are we missing? What guys just needed? And the quarterback play, we're talking about two right here. The quarterbacks are hurt the most. And um, look at a guy. We have a guy named Davis Webb, you know, who, who the Giants took and, and then the Jets took to training camp. Davis is very smart and, and done a great job for us. But we got him at the 53 cut down last year, put him on the practice squad. And so he's running scout team all year. He wants to prove now that he knows the offense that he can, he can do it. I would have loved to have had a spring league to send him to and, and let him grow and develop and, and watch him. But unfortunately, and, and the next thing is this year, we've lost out OTAs to watch him run our offense. So he's going to have a condensed window in August, you know, to try and show what he can do. Maybe once sports come back, there'll be a thirst for a developmental league and the NFL will decide just instead of waiting for someone else to do it, the NFL will make its own and people will follow it because we've had a taste of life without sports and it sucks. So no. hopefully, hopefully sports will be back. Hopefully football will be back. It's great to have you back on PFTPM, Brandon. Congratulations on the draft. Congratulations on restraining yourself last Thursday night. <laughs> from trading back in and we hope to talk to you again soon, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you, buddy. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.